Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm talking with Carl Quested, who's been hovering around Flying Solo for a good few years. He's a popular member of the forums and an all-round good guy, so more from him in a moment. Before we get started, a big thank you to podcast supporters Sendle, the door-to-door delivery parcel service that's cheaper than the post office. Head to sendle.com forward slash Flying Solo to get free Sendle premium worth $120 a year and you'll get an extra dollar off every parcel you send. Now, as a reminder, if you're listening via iTunes, we'd love you to post a brief review of the show. And of course, we welcome comments and discussion on Facebook or on Flying Solo. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's bring Carl on. Hello, Carl. Hi, Robert. How are you? Oh, look, I'm very well, and, and thank you very much for joining us. I know you're, you're dialing in from uh, sunny Brisbane, so... I hope your day is going well. And uh, a number of members I know will uh, be well aware of you as being the person behind Agent Mail, a company that takes the hassle out of mail outs and direct marketing to reach your customers. So how long have you been running that business for now, Carl? Well, basically, as long as I've been a member on Flying Solo, to be honest, Robert. So back in uh, 2010, we started. 2010. Oh, there you go. All right. And, uh, and just a snapshot, how's, how's business going? Yeah, look, going really well despite all of the, um, you know, all of the media to the contrary. Uh, direct mail is still is still kicking along quite nicely. So, yeah. And look, uh, it's interesting because you know here you are in a business that's in the sort of the snail mail, direct mail industry, as you say, the time when so many people are kind of turning their back on that. Uh, what's your view though? What what sort of what's your opinion of the opportunity that exists with people to perhaps be using snail mail more than we are? Well, look, I, th- I think, you know, two things that I always focus on is that they haven't yet stopped building houses without mailboxes. So there's always an opportunity there to actually reach your audience via that method. Um, and people these days are inundated with digital communications, whether it be, mm. you know, email messages, pop-ups on websites, whatever it might be, newsletters, etc. The The number of pieces per mail has continued to drop, um, which presents a great opportunity for your message to get through that much stronger. Yeah, and what uh, what sort of people are you finding that are are, are are coming to your business? I mean, you do you have some people that have um, been very surprised with the kind of results they're getting? Well, look, we're very much niched into uh, focusing on real estate agents. Oh, okay. Um, and the reason that we've done that is that they're, they're a group of uh, businesses which very much monitor their return on investment. Mm. Um, and it's one of the only ways that you can really utilize any form of marketing properly is if you understand the return on the investment that you're getting. Um, so real estate agents are a perfect example of um, a client group that we work with. Mm, okay. And uh, as you say, the fact that they're so concerned about this return on investment would suggest to you you know, the fact that they're coming back is it's working for them. And it, and it really does strike me that, exactly as you said there, that less people are using um, kind of direct mail. So, therefore, in, you know, therein lies a great opportunity for us, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said at the start, it's it's a, it's a different method of communication than the you know than the average business is using. Everyone mm. is getting email newsletters now. Everyone is getting communication yeah. in that method. Not many people are taking the steps of actually printing something tangible that people can sit down and read when they're disconnected from online. And so, what about the cost of it? I mean, that's that's all puts. I know a number of small businesses off, but I mean, can it be, I'm not expecting you to, to go into kind of quoting figures, but uh, it presumably can be a, a very cost-effective exercise. Yeah, it definitely is, Robert. But what the difficulty always comes back to that return on investment and businesses mm. understanding what the lifetime value of a client actually is. So most businesses look at a marketing exercise and they look at the number of widgets that they sell directly off of that you know, that, that marketing exercise. Um, and look, things like Google AdWords and Facebook ads have kind of created that, um, you know, that mentality. Yeah. But in reality, the lifetime value of a customer is the most important thing to monitor. You know, how many times does somebody order with you? What's the frequency they come back and order? How many people do they refer you to? You know, that's that's the true sort of value that a marketing exercise can can deliver. Yeah, and th- well, very well said. And look, you did you, when, I, I know that um, we had a little sort of pre-chat this morning morning that that uh, you've moved over to Australia I think about te- a decade ago did That's you right. did you come over with an expertise in this market or if not how did you kind of get into it yeah look I, I must admit I've always been involved in sales and marketing so I've always worked at small companies um aside from a couple of sort of stints with a couple of fortune 500 companies in sales roles right. um but I've mainly worked for, for small business owners um, and I guess it was that ability to sort of work very closely to a business owner and actually deal with their budget. Um, it's very different when you're spending your own dollars versus spending, you know, a, a multi-billion dollar company's money um, because it doesn't sort of feel quite the same. Yeah. So I, I wasn't directly involved in direct mail. My original uh, job out of high school uh, when I when I left high school was actually in uh, list broking, which is, is providing mailing lists. Mm. Um, and, and from there, my first venture into the entrepreneurial world was trying to start up a call center, which actually provided um, appointments for financial advisors and mortgage brokers. Hmm. Um, that was my first foray into the, into uh, business. And, and with that venture, um, the problem I had was I started offering that service for financial advisors and mortgage brokers just about the same time the GFC hit. <laughs> nice timing. <laughs> yeah, really good timing. <laughs> but it's interesting. So you you were you know you're you're clearly not someone who's who's kind of afraid to uh, push into new areas. I mean, and so that didn't work out. But then you've gone into snail mail, and from what I've observed, just from um, kind of seeing discussions that you've been involved in in the forums and looking at your website is that you push more and more. You know, you've you've tooled up to use the phrase with, in, you know, with your factory with all the equipment that you've got at a time when other people might be going, oh, we're not sure about you know investing in in a direct mail business. But you've gone the opposite way. Is this a is this a characteristic of of Carl Quester? Yeah, look, a little bit. I think I, I look for gaps in the market, and I, I think that's the key. So after my first foray into the business world failed with the with the uh, the telemarketing call center, um, I actually joined a company called Pitney Bowes, mm-hmm. and Pitney Bowes actually manufacture the folding and inserting machines. And the key vertical that I looked after at that company was real estate. And what I was finding is all these real estate agents were giving the machines back, saying, we just don't do as much mail anymore. We don't need these you know, $500,000 a month leases for these machines. And I started questioning them, yeah, but aren't you still sending letters out? And they'd say, yeah, look, we send maybe 500,000, 1,000 letters a month out, but we'll just do those by hand. 
Mm. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. If you're, you know, how long does it take you to do that? Oh, you know, four or five hours. We just sit around a table. Everyone hates doing it, but we we get it done. So I was like, well, you know, I I did a bit of research and looked at the larger mail houses out there, like your cell mats and your computer share, those kind of guys. Um, And they didn't want to know, unless you were a Westpac or a Telstra or someone like that, they weren't interested in servicing the small guy. So there was a big gap in the market there, which wasn't really being um, well served. Mm. Fantastic. So, and this, is, so this is very much the way that you operate. By the signs of it, you look for gaps. So I know you've moved into um, another new business recently. I think only about a month ago, where you're looking at. Um, well, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about Brandstrong and how that works, and what the motivation for that business was. How, what is Brandstrong? Yeah, so Brandstrong is a subscription-based graphic design service. Hmm. So my my business agent man and my my business partner in Brandstrong has a a signage business um, as well. And we were both finding the same frustration that clients would come to us and they'd spend thousands of dollars on either signage or mail outs or letterbox drops or whatever it is. And they've created their own Florian publisher. Um, (laughs) And it just looked terrible. And it was this this constant sort of conflict between wanting to do a good job for the client and then providing us with really poor quality work. So, you know, when we started asking people about why they did that, you know, we got the same thing that, oh, we've tried to work with people on Fiverr and Upwork before and it's just an absolute nightmare. We can lose a day trying to communicate something. But then if we go to the designer down the road, you know, it's $125 an hour plus they charge for every, every time they touch it for revisions. So we wanted to try, again, it was that gap in the market where we thought, is there a way we can service these people and provide them some assistance with their graphic design but make the process easy? Wow, so that's you getting it, it's you standing in between the client and the designer in this instance. Yeah, totally. So, look, yeah. our design team is actually employed by us, so we don't actually just um, keep a team of freelancers, we actually employ okay. full time designers. Um, but the client doesn't deal with us. So, we have designers in Russia, in the UK, and in the Philippines, but the clients deal with us. So they come to us and say, oh, look, I've got this idea for a flyer. Here's a couple of images. I'm not quite sure where to go with it. And we work with them to sort of form out that design brief. And then we actually deal with the communication between us and the designer. And we sign off on the work before it ever goes back to the client. Okay. Wow. Okay. So you're putting yourself in the position of, I don't know whether it's phraseology that's used these days, but you're kind of account handlers in between the designer and the, and the brief, the designer and the client. That's right, absolutely, yeah. yes. And it yeah. strikes me there that, you know, with, with, um, with Upwork and with Fiverr and all these various other services you mentioned, is you do, you know, we do hear a lot of stories of people that are not getting the results they want. But often I think it's because, I mean, and, you know, as I mentioned to you a little earlier when we were speaking, is my background is, is in the sort of design industry as a, as a suit, not a designer. But I, if there's one thing I absolutely know is, is design is only as good as the brief that the designer gets. And it's so often the case that um, I think with some of these online services is that there's no real sort of education of the client. So what gets said to the designer is often woeful and misguided and of course what they get back is is no good but it sounds like the process that you've got here it sounds a bit time intensive is it are you going to make a viable business out of this 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, the, the reason that we have the subscription model um, is because we want to work with clients on an ongoing basis. So okay. one of the first things we do in Brandstrong when a client comes on board is we actually send them a business brief. And the business brief goes over everything that they're about, that you know, the type of client that they're trying to target, what their, you know, what their color scheme is, what they're about, what their ethos is. So we get a really good overall picture of who mm. they are as a business. So from there, when we're actually interpreting what they want, so when they come to us and say, oh, you did a flyer for me before, I now need a newsletter. Right. We already know what they're about. The style is, yeah, okay. That's it. So we can mm. actually interpret that and deal with that without sort of having to rehash everything all over again, which is the biggest problem that people have when they use Upwork because a designer's there one day and they're gone the next. Yeah, okay. So early days, I know it's only about four weeks or so, but early signs, what are you, what are you seeing? Yeah, look, so we're, we're sitting at about 23 um, members that have signed up for the service now. Um, I think we're up to about job 45 that mm-hmm. we've actually completed for our clients. Um, and look, we've, we've certainly had some early teething issues. And, and, you know, back to your point there, my, my business partner was telling me a story from when he was in design school and he was asked by his professor, everyone in the room was asked to draw a banana. Right. And that was, that was the full brief was draw me a banana. And everyone then had to hold up their picture and everyone had a different interpretation of what that banana looked like. Mm. So probably our biggest um, issue so far has been really getting our clients to open up about what it is they're about and how they, how they, um, you know, how they interpret their business and how they interpret their clients. Um, because we're finding with some of our clients, they don't necessarily know what they want, but no. they know what they don't want. Absolutely. So, and- you know, yeah. And, and that's where we sort of try and do, like, we'll sort of do, you know, a really quick mock-up. Um, because they, the clients aren't being charged by the hour, they're not being charged by revision, we yep. can send something across to them and say, what do you think of this? And they can tell yeah, them and okay. say, oh, look, I like what you've done here, but I don't like what you've done here. Yep. So we can take those elements and then refine the process. Sure. So, so you're, you're, you're chucking them a quick banana and saying, what do you reckon? And, and getting some feedback by the same. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Yes. Okay. Well, that'll be so interesting to see how that goes. And again, you know, very clever of you to... Um, be looking there, seeing a gap and, and going for it. Now, I, I'm seeing a, obviously a bit of a, a theme here in, in who you are and how you operate. Um, and it strikes me then that, um, uh, well, it, it, interesting that you'd, I know that last year, you also, I believe it was last year, you decided as well that you were going to sign up for the Key Person of Influence program, those guys at KPI. Um, what was your what was your kind of thinking there? What was the motivation for you to do that? Well, look, I think that the real motivation was that as a solo business owner, you really don't have like your, your support network is is sort of filled with champions, I guess. You know, your your wife, your family, your friends, they all want to see you succeed. Mm. There's no real devil's advocate there to say, yeah, but what about this? Um, and so I, I sort of knew. Uh, you know, around that time, our business has started to take on staff. I knew that we were starting to, to grow a little bit. I need to work out, you know, how we how we controlled that growth. And I started looking around at business um, coaches. Right. And the problem I found was that I met with maybe half a dozen different coaches, and I just couldn't I couldn't work out what the problem was. But I just wasn't finding what it was I needed. Okay. Um, and when I went to KPI and went through the brand accelerator. Um, I actually saw, like, you know, Matthew Michaelwitz, Valerie Koo, yeah. uh, Glenn Carlson, all of the team um, and all of the different 
um, I guess, skill sets that they had. And I realized that what KPI provides is this, this, this great mastermind um, of different experts from different fields. And I realized that that's what I wanted. I didn't want one person that was kind of a, a jack of all trades. I kind of wanted to be able to pick the brains of experts from, from different fields. Mm, okay. and, and that's what really, really appealed to me with KPI. Right. And so, and how has that process gone? I mean, it's not, um, you know, it's not an uh, insubstantial financial commitment that someone makes to go on a program like that. How have you found it? What's it kind of done for your business and what's it done for you as an individual? Uh, look, I can probably sum it up in one word, which is clarity. Okay. Um, I, I've never had a, a clearer vision as what it is we're trying to achieve than when I went through KPI. Mm. Um, you know, they spend a lot of time really breaking you down as an individual and then building you back up to, to work out what you're about, what your passion is, what it is you're actually trying to achieve, um, you know, from, from both a personal and business perspective. Um, and from that side of things, the, the clarity with which I can um, articulate my message to my team, to my customers, um, you know, and to our suppliers it has never been more in line. So it's really, really helped kind of just define what that looks like. Mm, okay. So I know that you've, uh, you're, quite, um, you're quite happy to view and to talk about your business as very much being a lifestyle business. So without, I'm not trying to put you on the spot and get you to, to define exactly your, your kind of purpose and, and quote anything that you might have put together with KPI, but what, how do you kind of see the future? How do you, how do you um, envisage the development of your lifestyle business? And what does your lifestyle look like, if that's a, a clear question? Yeah, definitely. Look, for, for me, and I'm happy to, to um, you know, speak about it from the KPI perspective, mm. one of the things we work on in KPI is working out what your intersection is, which is the, the two, I guess, defining values um, in, in your life and your business life. And for me, my intersection was business and fun. And what that meant is I didn't want to do any kind of business that I didn't enjoy doing. Right. So it didn't matter, you know, and I, I called it sort of the, the toilet cleaning test. If you were cleaning toilets for a living, what would you need for it to be to be fun? And for me, it'd be well, I'd need to be the business owner, and I'd need to be having fun whilst I did it. Right. You know, so that meant having a good team around me. It meant having good people. It meant having a good lifestyle balance with that as well. So, um, you very much for me, I wasn't sort of looking to create a ten million dollar business. Mm -hmm. What I wanted was, you know, the the ideology of Tim Ferriss's four hour work week where I could go in and pick out the bits that I wanted to do, which was go and see clients, have fun doing an event over here, go to a seminar and do some networking, and then leave all of the stuff that I didn't enjoy to other people. Right, so okay. that then meant I could have more fun with the business that I was doing. I could have more time with my family. I've got two young children um, and my wife who I love to spend time with, and everything was around that. It wasn't about I want to work 12 or 15 hours a day. It was about how do I work less but be more effective. Mm. Oh, nice, and I can hear just by the sort of the strength of your commitment there, and in, in, in uh, the way that you say that, is it something clearly that's very front of mind for you? And um, how so? How do you see the future for you? You're saying there that you don't necessarily want to be building, you know, a multi-million dollar business. So, but you're clearly someone who, when you see an opportunity, you kind of go for it. Um, is that how you're likely to continue, or do you think with uh, what you're you're doing now with Agent Mail and with Brand Strong, you know, you're kind of busy enough now. 
No, look, I, I think I, I think I'm sort of borderline ADHD, and I'm, I'm very much a shiny object type person. That when I sort of see a new opportunity, I, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to test it. I've got to see if it works. Right. You know, so um, we're very fortunate in the position with Agent Mail. Um, you know, from a financial perspective, that it does allow me the, the time and, and financial freedom to try other things. Um, right. You know, Brandstrong is something I'm very, very excited about right now, just because it is a bit of a disruptor in in the industry. Um, but I certainly see moving forward i don't sort of intend on growing brand strong into a you know 10 20 million dollar business if it gets to that stage the chance are i'll get bored and sell it because yep. i much prefer for me the startup phase is the exciting phase that's the phase where there's you know there's a lot going on um, there's a lot of excitement there's a lot of anticipation there's a lot of unknown so i definitely sort of see my future being okay what what's my next business that i'm going to create yeah okay and so the way you described um, agent mail though very much is that kind of allows you you've built that to a level that's allowing you to kind of play and experiment would that be right yeah definitely and look mm. that doesn't mean i don't experiment with agent mail either so sure. in um in june of last year we actually decided that one of the services we wanted to provide to real estate agents was telemarketing again so even though it's something i tried you know seven years previous um, and failed at I was like no we're going to give this a go again um, you know for the real estate industry Um, and so that was that was a new that was a new um, idea and a new um, venture within Agent Mail that we 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 set up so So you're very much a dog with a bone and you might have let the bone go but you've you found it under the sofa and you're going to give it another chew by the time that's it I'll I'll have another chew that's it yeah (laughs) (laughs) and tell me how do you uh, you mentioned there that um, you know when you first did that it didn't work have you uh, confronted failure very often? And if so, how have you kind of responded to that? Yeah, look, I think, I think for me, um, the, the failure of my, of my original telemarketing business, um, it, it definitely sort of knocked the wind out of my sails. Right. Um, at the time, I was, I was 22. I thought I was going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I, I had this sort of goal of being a millionaire by the time I was 30. You know, all of these kind of, I guess... At the time, they were important, but, you know, looking back on it now, your priorities change. Um, and it, it definitely took the wind out of me. Um, you know, we, we came away with not significant, but some some level of debt from the closure of that business. So I had to go and rejoin the um, the working the working world. Yikes. Uh, which, yeah, which was probably the worst two years of my life. Nice. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just not a good employee. Um, I, I challenge way too much. You know, if somebody tells me to do something, I want to know why and I want to know how it can be done better. Right. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I think failure is, is a big part of business and mm. learning how to fail and fail fast and get back up quickly is, is really a key. And so how do you uh, – thank you for sharing that as openly as you did. How do you – feel now does it feel like that business failed or on balance uh, you know you're going back into that sort of industry so there was clearly something shiny that was still remaining there does it feel like a failure does it feel painful to talk about it or have you very much kind of moved on and learnt and you know yeah look I I, I think I think they're, they're like anything, um, you know, the the pain dies over time. Um, mm. But but certainly for me, I do look back on it now with fondness because there's a lot that I learned during that process that I took away and it helped me be more, um, I guess, tenacious. It, it helped me be sort of more, um, I guess, reserved in terms of um, how I go about doing things and dealing with suppliers. Yeah. I mean, we had one supplier at the time rip us off for about $5,000 and – being 21 and never having dealt with suppliers before, 
you just don't know what to do in that situation. Um, you know, so it was, it was, I, I think even at the time we ended up going through some legal proceedings. So you, you sort of grow and develop a lot from these things. Mm. And, you know, I, I think the great thing is now that in 2016, a lot more business owners are opening up about their failures yeah. and talking about how they led to success. You yeah. know, five, five years ago, we very much sort of just looked at these, these great business people, um, you know, and we didn't ask about how they got there. We just mm. wanted to know how to get there ourselves. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think if you're talking to kind of anyone or most people anyway that's got any kind of successful business they've they've all got some experiences to share and I think the quicker we get away from thinking about these things as failure the better but it, I, you know it's hard to do at some some occasions yeah definitely uh, but but I think that the more we talk about the the fact that you know you only really fail when you stop mm. um, you know that's the only genuine failure because as long as you keep if you keep falling over but you keep falling forward you're still moving forward yep Good, good way to look at it. And look, hey, you were only 21 or 22 then, so, you know, you've got a few more runs on the board now and, look, you know, much much more mature in your business and your outlook by the sounds of it. So, very good. So, yeah, any, absolutely. A, anything else you can uh, sort of reveal to us that's kind of on your radar without giving anything away? Where, where else might Carl pop up? Yeah, look, I mean, for me, I guess one of my, one of my long-term... Um, I guess desires is to be involved in the in the funding and the startup process of other new businesses. Okay. Um, you know, I, I would love to see myself in a position to um, actually help other aspiring business owners grow and develop their ideas. So whether that's in sort of an incubator environment or something along that, those lines, that's something I'm definitely passionate about as well. Mm, fantastic, and certainly the right um, business environment to be considering that so that's brilliant well look uh, i suggest say to listeners as you heard earlier carl is a graduate of the kpi key person of influence program uh, coming up soon are kpi's one day business accelerators that carl mentioned that are designed to help business owners unlock more value from the experience ideas and intellectual property that's already in their business we'll include a link to their fine work in the notes that accompany this podcast and once again, support for this podcast comes from Sendle, the door-to-door delivery parcel service that's cheaper than the post office. Head to sendle.com forward slash flying solo to get free Sendle premium worth $120 a year and you'll get an extra dollar off every parcel you send. So look, Carl, thank you so much for being so open with us. I think you've given us a good snapshot of who you are. I love the clarity that you have uh, in your business, the fact that you can speak so openly and clearly about that sort of intersection and where you're going and I think there's some real gold there in how you look for opportunities and what I particularly like is the fact that if there's an opportunity even if it didn't work it sounds to me like you don't let that go you're keeping that in your top drawer and you think right well I'll get to that at some point and uh, so we wish you best of luck with your um, your move back into the area of uh, telesales. Yeah, no, thank you, Robert. And thank you to the uh, entire Flying Solo community as well. Um, the, the entire community has been such an invaluable resource in starting my business, you know, just over five years ago. So I, I really appreciate everyone that's part of that community. Well, that's terrific. And I, I know they do you too. So that's lovely. Thank you, Carl. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, that's all, folks. Thanks for listening. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo and your host, Robert Gerrish. We'd love to receive feedback, even a brief review for those listening via iTunes. 
If you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au.